Good morning. It is one of those great spring days that we enjoy so much where the weather is very nice and the sunshine is beautiful and we're just thankful for the opportunity to be together. Thankful that you are here. As always, we encourage you to be back with us at 1.30. Also to uh, stay with us if you would like to for lunch for a period of uh, not only enjoying good food that our ladies uh, work so hard on, but also a good time of fellowship. Uh, we want to make note, as, as Charles said, that we're... Uh, uh, happy but sad for Faye and Buford and the move they'll be making. I asked Buford if they need anything, and he said, well, uh, all our pots and pans are packed up, so we need some lunch. And I said, well, then that's the kind of person we're talking about. I say, and, and have lunch with us, but anyone else that's interested in hanging around, uh, please stay with us because we enjoy a good time there, a fellowship, and, uh, and we want you certainly then to be back at, at 1.30 as we assemble again to, to study God's Word. As we get into the lesson this morning, I want to give credit uh, where credit is due uh, in my library, I have many books, and some of those are sermons from preachers, uh, giants of preachers that I enjoy going through sometimes. And the lesson we're going to share this morning is from a book that's entitled Gus Nichols' Sermon Outlines. Some of you are familiar with our brother Gus Nichols and the, the life that he lived and the preaching that he did for so many years uh, down in the Jasper, Alabama area, and uh, lots of great sermons, just uh, a giant of a preacher that we, as preachers today, still stand on the foundation that he laid. This book in particular is important to me. I enjoy it. If you can see it, some of you can make it out maybe from where you see it, but all the pages are kind of coming out of the book. That's because this was also one of Hannah's grandfather's books that preached for many years. Our brother Rubel Clayton, that's Freddie's dad. And when he would use one of the sermons, he would tear it out of the book so that he could just lay it on the pulpit in front of him. So if I turn it upside down here, they're all going to come out. But this book has got a lot of use among uh, our family. I'm thankful for that, but I'm certainly thankful for Brother Gus Nichols and the sermons that he preached for so many years. And as I like to do from time to time, I'll take those books out and kind of look through them. You know, I find it very interesting because of the titles very often of the sermons. I think there's one, maybe in this book in particular, that talks about changes that are coming through the church. I think the copyright in the book is like 1961. So you can imagine what a sermon on changes in the church or changes in the home meant in the 60s. And it's kind of interesting, maybe even ironic, kind of maybe even a little funny at times to go back and look at those and think about how those sermons translate even to the year 2022, because some of those things are a little different, but many of those things are not. They're the same. They're the same sinful ways in which man has struggled for many, many years. And so looking through that, I came across this particular outline that I'd like for us to look at this morning as we think about the conversion of an honest man. I don't know what you remember about the book of Acts. Many of you are Bible students that know in the book of Acts we read of so many different conversions. In fact, in Acts chapter 3 and verse number 19, Acts 3, 19, it's, we're right after the establishment of the Lord's church there on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 3, Peter is preaching at Solomon's porch or Solomon's portico. And, and he's delivering another gospel message about Jesus the Christ. And he talks to them and he says in verse number 19 that they need to repent. And depending on the version that you're looking at, it may say, be converted. To be converted is to be changed. So as to become and to be a Christian. When Peter says it there, he's saying something to them that is encouraging, which is something that we can say even this very day, that if you were here and you're not a Christian, a child of God, you need to repent and be converted. Or to be changed. Now the question that we want to ask this morning, because when we go through the book of Acts, there are a lot of conversions. 
You know, we think about those there on the day of Pentecost. We think about the Ethiopian nobleman. We think about the Samaritans. We think about the Philippian jailer and all these people that we come across in the book of Acts who were converted. And we could do a sermon outline on the conversion of so-and-so or fill-in-the-blank, whoever you might want to talk about. But this morning, I'm going to ask you to possibly have to use your imagination. Because for many of you this morning, you are a Christian. You are here. You're a child of God. You've been baptized for the remission of your sins. But let's think about conversion for just a moment. What conclusion would an honest person come to if he were to read the Bible through or she were to read the Bible through without prejudice? You see, very often today, especially in these United States of America, if we were to hand the Bible to someone, then they have some preconceived ideas. Uh, Maybe they've even been taught things about the Bible. And so we might have a different outline if we're saying that we're talking about the conversion of someone maybe who goes by the name Methodist or someone who goes by the name of a Presbyterian. That might be someone different than simply someone who was an honest person that we handed the Bible to and said, read this without any kind of prejudice. Where would we find such a person? Instead of going to someone with a denominational background, let's think this morning not about one particular person or or one particular kind of person in these United States, maybe in our world, in our society today, but let's think simply of going to, we might call them a heathen, an infidel, or an unbeliever, and let's go to a person like that who knows nothing of God or of the Bible, hand them the Bible, and think about what might go through their mind. Now, again, I'm going to ask you, to use your imagination. I know you've opened your Bible before. Many of you have become a Christian before. But try to think this morning what it might be like if you were just simply an honest man or woman and someone handed you the Bible or if you could find someone in those shoes and you were going to try to convert them or change them, but to change them from the sinful ways of the world into a believer in the Almighty God of heaven and to, of course, as we would say, into a Christian. But let's think about that and try to put ourselves in those shoes and think, first of all, what if we gave him, this honest man, the 39 books of the Old Testament? What if, in the first place, we simply gave them, not the whole Bible, but but a Bible that, that was just the 39 books of the Old Testament? What would that person think? What would you think if you could try to set aside some of what you already know? All that we tell this honest man is that he is a Gentile, okay? We, we know the Bible speaks a lot, certainly in the New Testament, about Jews and Gentiles. So we find this honest soul, we say, you are a Gentile, and you're to read the 39 books of the Old Testament, note or write down or mark anything that you find interesting, and then come back to us. So what if we gave them the 39 books of the Old Testament, this person read through it, and then came back? I would think they would note a few things. Number one, they would note that there is a God, right? We think about Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning, God. An honest person opens the Bible and realizes that there is a God in heaven. Not only that, of course, but that he is behind the existence of all things. Even so far as chapter 1 and verse number 27, that God created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And so we think about that this person might note, well, there's a God. 
And, and as they're reading, they flip forward. And I know for the sake of time, we're going to have to skip over a lot. But they might even come to the book of Exodus and think about what we commonly refer to as the Ten Commandments. They might realize that there is a God who wants his people to follow him. Now, even before we get to Exodus, there are a lot of ways in which we would find that out. But, of course, a lot of people commonly turn to Exodus 20 and think about the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments that are listed there. And so they might say, well, you know, I realize there's this God. He wants people to read what he's told them to do and to follow that, and he's very serious about that. But they might also learn about the trials of life and the trouble of faithfulness. You know, if you read that today, that sounds like a a New Testament phrase, right? That sounds like things that we go through. But think about, as we have for a while now in our Book of the Month Club on our Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening sermons, we've talked about the, the trouble of faithfulness with the children of Israel. Right, Whether it's the children of Israel actually in the wilderness or in the book of Joshua that we've talked about here recently, or it's the kings, or it's the judges, or whatever it might be, God's people, even though he wants them to follow him, still have trouble. They still have trials, and they still struggle sometimes with faithfulness. Now, you're going to see a pattern through these points that we're going to make this morning But when a person who's an honest person who just simply reads and opens their Bible, they're going to notice some things. And that's just a few of them from the Old Testament. But there's also probably going to be a few questions that come up, right? If they were to be reading, they might have some questions such as the seven or so that are listed here. They come to Genesis chapter 12 with Abram or Abraham there. And they say, you know, this seems like there's some promises there. God tells Abraham, in you, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And they might say, well, has that happened yet? And they might even go forward into the book of Isaiah. You'll see the book of Isaiah listed about four times there. A great and wondrous book. They might come to chapter 2 and see that it says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established. And out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And they might say, well, it says the Lord's house is going to be established. Has that happened? Well, what about Isaiah chapter 9 and even 7 and over in chapter 5? They might say, well, it talks about this child. And in your Bible, it may have a capital C, child. A a proper kind of idea, a proper name. Is that child come? Or, Or what about a virgin birth? You know, that's not possible. I mean, that's right, it's not physically possible, so has that happened? Or what about the one who is to die? They come to Isaiah chapter 53 and they say, boy, that's a pretty powerful description there of someone who has to suffer. Has that occurred yet? And they go to Daniel chapter 2 and they see again this idea not only of the Lord's house from Isaiah 2, but they come to Daniel 2 and they think about the kingdom. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, the Bible says, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and it shall stand forever. Once again, powerful words. So they might be marking all of these passages and say, Have these things happened? And if you look over in the book of Malachi chapter 3, 
and verse number 5, or even chapter 4 and verses 5 and 6, which, by the way, if you're not turning there, are the last two verses of the Old Testament as it's recorded for us, they might see or note that this great person that has been discussed has not come as of the close of the Old Testament. Just like we sometimes read a novel and we flip over to the end and maybe for whatever reason the author has left it unknown or they're going to write a sequel that they're already working on and they come to the conclusion and they say, huh, you know, i got a lot more questions here. Some of these things I don't think have happened yet. I mean, that's interesting. Those are some great stories, very interesting stories at times. But what about this child? What about this kingdom? Because it sure looks as if There in Malachi, the speaking of the coming messenger, thinking about John the baptizer, as we know that, who would be coming, and and the son of God who would be coming, they might have these questions to say, I I don't know. Seems like they've not come. So they come back to us, this honest person. And again, I know it's hard, but you try to put yourself in their shoes. You've just finished these 39 books, and they come back to you and they say, I've got questions. Say, that's all right. What if we secondly then gave them Matthew Mark, Luke, and John, what we commonly refer to as the Gospels. We say, okay, thankful that you read that, thankful that you made it that far. I know you have questions, but then let's go further. And we don't give them all the New Testament, but simply what we would commonly refer to as the Gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, then they would note, well, Christ came, right? This honest man would realize that Christ was the one to come. They would read about the virgin birth. They would read about the child. They would see that Christ was the one to come, that he had fulfilled many of the prophecies that were mentioned in the book of Isaiah and other places, and that he died for our sins. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 28, the passage where Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper, and he says, for this is my blood, of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. I would think this honest person would then find some peace, right, to some of those questions. They would kind of probably find it very interesting that these things that they read about, the questions that they had are then answered with the person and the wonderful nature of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever tried to read the Bible this way, And as I said, particularly in these United States, and even particularly in the southeastern area of the United States, what we call the Bible Belt, it's hard to find somebody who might take a look at the Bible through these fresh set of eyes, through this new look, or maybe thinking about it without any prejudice. But do you see how there are some good things that you find out, but then some questions that come along? And now we have answers. We think about the person of Christ, but guess what? This honest person, if they're being honest, they've still got some questions, right? They would note that, you know what, that kingdom that was discussed, it still hasn't come yet. And in fact, this idea of the church, the church has not been built. I mean, I got my answers to the questions about the Christ, but not to some of these other questions. They noted noted that Jesus, at the end of of the Gospels, as they read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talks about this this great commission, this idea of going out and spreading the good news. Well, where's that? I didn't read that anywhere in what I just read, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
They note from John chapter 14 and John chapter 16 that Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. Well, what's this Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, Jesus says there in John 16, is promised to come. Jesus says, I go, I'm going to go, and when I go, it's so that the Helper may come. The Holy Spirit. This person says, well, I mean, that's a great account about Jesus, but, you know, where's that Holy Spirit? Where's the Great Commission? Where's the church? Are those things a part of this or or not? Well, that's good questions. So then we give them, of course, as he comes back, the book of Acts. See, he returns pleased because he's found out about Christ. He's had some questions that have been answered about some things, but there are still a few more. He comes back and we say, okay, well, what about the book of Acts? Take and read that because I think you'll find some interesting things there. And in the book of Acts, what does he find? Well, he finds the answers to some of those questions, right? He realizes that the Holy Spirit came. In Acts chapter 2, it talks about the very beginning. You know, we often emphasize Acts 2.38, and rightfully so, with baptism of those who were there. But at the very beginning, there is another promise that is fulfilled. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, as the Holy Spirit comes, just as Jesus said. The Holy Spirit came to guide the apostles into all truth and in carrying out the Great Commission. Because you see, they begin in the very first few pages of the book of Acts, these, this honest person begins to have their questions answered. Holy Spirit's come. The Great Commission is taking place and is being spread. Not only that, they notice there in chapter 2 that the church had been built. And there in verses 36 through 47, or 40 through 47, we note that there were thousands who were added to this church or to the kingdom. That's comforting. You see how it just builds upon things when you look at it in this kind of fresh set of eyes or, or way of thinking about it? If you're like me, you possibly had a Bible in front of you almost your whole life. You know, it's something that you've always thought about. But yet, when you think about kind of taking it bit by bit here and understanding that there's wonderful news and information that is found beginning in the book of Genesis, but yet there are questions. Just keep going. You find the answers to those questions, some of them, but there's more questions. We just keep going. We find out that there are answers to more questions, but then there are some more that come along. You see, what if this honest man is pleased as he's come to you with the book of Acts, or we've given him that, because he's found about Jesus. Now he's found out about some of the things that happened in the book of Acts, but he wants to know, what hinders me from doing what those people in the book of Acts did? We think very particularly sometimes about Acts chapter 8 and that Ethiopian eunuch or Ethiopian nobleman who asked that kind of question, who through honest eyes opened the scriptures We know exactly what it says there as Philip preaches to him Jesus. Acts chapter 8 and verse number 35. So he says, well, why can't I do what he did? Why can't I be baptized? And then we are able to baptize him. What if this honest person was amongst our midst even today? We're able to baptize him or her. We bring him right here to the water. We baptize him for the remission of their sins. They say, okay, I'm thankful, I'm happy, but what now? Still more questions. He wanted to know what he's supposed to be called. 
He wanted to know where he's supposed to worship. He wanted to know what to call the church to which he had been added. See, there's more questions even as you get through something as great as the book of Acts. So what if? What if we gave him the last books? The last 22 letters, we might say, from Romans to Revelation. Something to chew on. You know, it talks about in those books, in those letters, the idea of maturing, of growing. And so we know there's a lot there to take in sometimes. But what if this honest person took those letters and he or she honestly studied them? I think we could conclude that it would make them very happy. They learn then, of course, that they are to be called a Christian. We think about not only Acts chapter 11, the place that we usually kind of refer to it, Acts eleven twenty six, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, but also in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16, this name, this idea of Christians is used. So he's very happy because he learns he's supposed to be called a Christian. He learns that congregations, a, a body of believers, a group of believers is called a, a church of Christ. Romans chapter 16 and verse 16, the idea that the churches of Christ salute you. You know, no, no name, no name of any person or person that might have taught him. Although, guess what? As we're talking about an honest person, no one is exactly teaching him but the Bible. So he's not going to take any kind of name of any, any person, any kind of man-made name. But this is the church. We're trying to be a church that belongs to Christ. The church of Christ. So he understands that he's defined a group of believers. And join in. If you've been with us on Wednesday night, we've emphasized this now for, for almost four months probably, honing in and really trying to understand the benefits of being a part of the church. Yes, the church in a global kind of sense, but specifically the church in the local kind of sense, that you find a group of believers, hopefully led by elders, hopefully with those who are qualified and can serve as special servants or deacons, but not just those leaders, everyone working together. And this honest person comes back and says that they, are, they realize they're supposed to then lead the Christian life, live like a Christian. But not only that, as Brian has led us in such wonderful songs this morning, they think about the home of the soul. They learn of heaven and think about how wonderful it will be to be able to join in the singing and the praise of God one day in heaven. The conversion of an honest person, an honest man. Have you ever considered going through the Bible that way? If you're like me, it was never presented in that kind of simple way. Because from the time that I can remember, I was sitting in a pew, I was listening to sermons, I was in Bible class, I was learning stories, and, and we don't usually look at it from a person maybe who has never thought about these things. We were raised in an area where everyone, it seemed like, attended church somewhere, so to speak. A person who has an honest heart can be converted. A person who has an honest heart can open the word of God and know exactly what they are to do to be faithful. It's one of those passages that we sometimes kind of spout off, but when Peter says that we have all things that pertain to life and godliness, it's one of those that kind of flows off the tongue. It's real easy to say, kind of quote that particular passage. But I want you to understand how wonderful that is. 
that yes, a person can pick up the Bible and be converted, become a child of God by simply opening it and reading it. Yes, we can look at it and know what we need to do in our marriages. And yes, even in some ways with our finances and with decisions that we have to make with our children, with our spouse, all of these things that guides us on what we need to do. The question I think then this morning though for us and as we think about encountering people in the world is are we honest? Are we honest enough to simply open it and read it and obey it? Because it's a struggle. It's a struggle when what we want to do contradicts with what God has told us to do. It's a struggle when one of our family members wants to do something against what God has told us to do. And we have to make a decision. It feels like whether we're going to stick with the truth or whether we're going to sort of maybe just kind of soften it some so that a family member or a friend feels better about whatever it is that they're doing, even if it is a sinful thing. See, the key to this is is you don't have to be an Ethiopian nobleman. You don't have to be a Philippian jailer. You don't have to be there on the day of Pentecost. You simply have to be honest. Open the word of God and read what it has to say. At the end of our lessons, we always try to put up this particular slide as one of the two we usually show because a person can look through the book of Acts, look through the words of Jesus, look through the New Testament, but because, of course, that's what we're living in is the Christian dispensation or the Christian age and see exactly what one needs to do to be saved and to have the hope of heaven. It involves a few things that are hard sometimes. It involves things sometimes that maybe a family member or friend hasn't done. And so there's a bit of of trouble there as you think about telling somebody about these things. But if you're honest, it truly is God's simple plan of salvation. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, why not? I know we've very quickly gone over these things. We've not had much time to go into great detail, but we would love to study with you even this day, even this afternoon, if you would allow us to. Because it's that important of a decision. This is the only way of salvation. Jesus is the one who shed his blood. It is his blood that can offer us remission of sin. So that the Lord can add us to his church just as those people did there on the day of Pentecost. And the Ethiopian eunuch and the Philippian jailer and so many more. And even so many here have done. But we have to remain faithful. You see if we're being honest we realize that God's word doesn't teach things like once saved always saved. It doesn't teach things that just make us feel better, that all we've got to do is is get wet one time in the baptistry and that's it. We have to remain faithful. And by remaining faithful, we mean walking in the light. We mean following the word of God, sticking close to this pattern, reading it at all times as often as we can. If we're being honest, sometimes we do that. And if we're being honest, sometimes we struggle with that. And the possibility exists even in a crowd such as this today that someone is here who is a child of God who has struggled to remain faithful. Maybe you need to come to the front here in just a moment as we're about to sing this song. One of our elders would love to receive you and pray with you. You can confess your sins in a public way. Maybe it's because it's a public sin. Maybe you would just like the prayers of the church here to encourage you. We're thankful for God's second law of pardon, as we sometimes call it. Because you know what? God didn't say simply be baptized and that's it. He says, if you're baptized and you mess up, that's okay. As long as you have opportunity here, breath and life on this earth, you can repent of your sins and pray. Have you ever noticed that? Acts chapter 8, verse 22. It actually takes place right before that Ethiopian nobleman. 
It's a wonderful passage that tells us what we need to do to be saved just as he did and what we can do when we struggle to remain faithful. We can repent and pray. We're thankful for honest hearts. I'm thankful that many of you had an honest heart to become a Christian this morning, but maybe you've struggled. Maybe you need to come back to him. We're thankful that God has given us his word from the Old Testament, building upon that the Gospels, the life of Christ, building upon that the church in its infancy in the book of Acts, and building upon that the letters of so many men who would tell us what we need to do. All we simply have to do is be honest and be obedient. Would you do those things? Even now as we stand together and as we sing.